Lord, please give us a, um, just encourage us and inspire us to be diligent to do your work and to go where you command us to go. And Lord, as speakers, help us to speak the things that you want us to say that would light a fire in the homes of our, of our friends and our family here. And I pray, Father, that you would be glorified, not only now, but in our children as the years go by, that we would see the fruit and that we would have all of our family in the kingdom. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Now, as parents, we all have experienced what we call the joy of obedience. It usually comes after one of those intense struggles that we had. The Lord has called us to surrender, and we know we should, but we just are having a hard time. So we pray and we agonize with the Lord. At the end of the battle, when we surrender to him, we always have that joy of obedience. And that's the type of joy we want our children to have, and it's always going to be experienced with battles. So you have to know that for them to have that joy of obedience, there's going to be a battle first. But once they experience it, they will understand the joy of it as well. Many parents are not seeing this type of obedience. Instead, they're seeing a lot of disobedience, defiance, and they're wondering why. Why am I not seeing what I need to see? Why are my children not obeying? I watch other people, and their children seem to obey. Why aren't my children obeying? For me, I felt like it was because I did not really understand Proverbs 22.6 when it says, train up a child. I understood the way that a child should go, and that was in the character of Christ, but the training I was lacking. I didn't understand. So I always looked for mentors in my church, and when I didn't see them, I got on my knees, and I just said, Lord, train me, teach me. I want to have righteous girls, so just show me what it is I need to do. And that's what I'm sharing with you is what God has showed me, and each one of us are sharing that. We're the same people. We get on our knees, and we just ask God to show us we are not better than any of you. We have our same struggles that you have, but we just know, and all of you have the same thing. We have a God that's mighty and powerful, and he's able to change us and change our children. In Fundamentals of Education, there's a statement that talks about the two phases of child training. It says there's a time for training children and a time for educating youth. The training which Solomon enjoins is to direct or instruct. And I color-coded this so it would be a little bit easier to follow. So directing and instructing happens during the time that we're training our children. Educate and teach, this is happening at the time that we're going to be educating our youth. And we want development, the cultivation of God's character in the lives of our children. And this can happen during the child training stage and in the educating our youth stage. So what age is considered a child or a youth? Among the Jews, the 12th year was divided the dividing line between childhood and youth, desire of age of 75. So training children is the ages of 0 to 12. So the intensity of your child training is going to be the strongest at 0 to 12. You're still going to have some training as they move into the teens, but not like you're going to have in those child ages 0 to 12. And then we move into the intensity of education, and that's going to be between those 13 and 20-year-olds. And that's where we still have some of the training, but a lot of education has taken place here. So what does training and educating phases really look like? One of the first lessons a child needs to learn is the lesson of obedience. Before he's old enough to reason, he may be taught to obey by gentle, persistent effort. The habit should be established. So this training session time 
is for obedience until it becomes a habit. And the educating youth part, it says as soon as he's capable of understanding, his reason should be enlisted on the side of obedience. So in education, we want to enlist the child's will that they choose obedience and because it's right. And um, if you want to go into depth, which I don't have time here, I'm actually on Vimeo. You can just type in my name. And I have several videos on there you can watch on how to enlist the child's will. There's three ways that I use when I was working with my children. But we are, I am there, so you can find me if you want to go into because this is a little beyond our scope here. So in the training session at this stage, the child is learning obedience, not the whys of obedience, just obedience. Obey, obey, obey. It's that simple. So we're going to be directing and regulating the child, telling the child what to do, and it's going to be by gentle, persistent effort and earnest effort to teach them to obey, 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 like I said, until it becomes a habit. So in this phase, lots and lots of parenting control. I call it external control. So we're helping the child to learn to obey. Once we have obedience, we can move into the stage of educating our youth. And this is where we're going to start bringing the reason of that child into our child training. And that's why I had children that would come to me and say, I have sinned, would you discipline me? It's because I have brought them to that point where I have enlisted their will into this obedience. And that's what we want. So it's explaining the whys. It's obedience is developed by educating. We obey because. It's a cause to effect. Now we can start education if a child has not first learned to obey. Education is for the purpose of knowledge, how those cause and effects work so our child can apply this information in other areas of their life. And if you train them right and they have these principles, they will use them all their lives. And as we go through and we give those practical illustrations of how to do these things, you'll see how that actually works. Now, in the education phase, our children are starting having their own self-control, and that's what we want. We're supposed to be self-controlled Christians, that we can come to the Lord and make changes in our heart because of the way the Lord works through us, and that's what we're going to take our children through. One day they leave our home, and our children need to learn how to be righteous. They need to learn how to overcome sin, and that's the purpose. And I always look at it as a pyramid, that if we're faithful and we do lots and lots of training in this child phase, then our children will really experience that joy of obedience. And then we can move into that education phase where we can spend a lot of time reasoning and educating and telling them why. And when we do it right, this is one of the most exciting stages at all because a lot of that discipline you've been doing, constant and constant and constant, lets up. And then you get to enjoy your children when you think, is this ever going to get better? (laughs) Oh, I'm so tired of this. It does. It gets better if you do it right. If not, there is something you will reap from it. But when we are at this stage and we really, our children are doing this, we have the hearts of our children. And our children's goal is always to that's what they want to do and please the Lord. There's a statement that somebody I found years ago. It was by Dennis and Barbara Rainey. And it's from Moments Together for Living What You Believe. And it says, some boys were tempting a young lad to pull a prank with them. The young man... The young men taunted the other lad, come on, do this with us. Nobody will find out. Finally, the boy mentioned his father, so they taunted him further. They said, oh, you're just afraid, because if your father finds out, he might hurt you. 
And the boy looked back at the others and he said, no, I'm afraid if he finds out, it'll hurt him. And that's what we want from our children, that sin is something they don't want because it's hurting us and it's hurting their Heavenly Father. Many families are not training children in educating youth. Instead, they're educating children and they're training youth. So they're getting this all backwards. So we start reasoning with the toddler. Honey, you really need to go to bed. Hey, you're so tired. I just know you need to get some sleep. And wouldn't you like to go to bed? No toddler is going to say, oh, mommy, I think it's wonderful. Yes, I'm so excited about going to bed. It's not going to happen. And if it's not that, it's going to be something else. They do not joyfully want to do things that are good for them because they don't understand that it's good for them. We educate not to get obedience, but because our child is obedient. I'm going to repeat that again. We do not educate to get obedience. We educate because our child is already obedient. So we don't try to talk this toddler into obeying. If you're reasoning with your toddler, the young child is trying to get, and you're trying to get obedience or honoring you, it's not going to happen. And in this phase, people have little or no control that's taken place. So by reasoning with my child, I'm trying to get them to say, hey, don't you agree with me? This is really good. Like I said, it's not going to happen. And a child may give up because there's no other way tonight, but tomorrow you'll have the battle again. And then the next night you'll have it again, and the next night you'll have it again. As long as you keep battling with the same things, you do not have that heart of the child. It doesn't matter whether the child agrees with you or not. It doesn't matter. It's not a matter of obe obeying. It's just a matter of obedience. That's all we're asking for. If we properly... Um, if we don't properly train this child to obey, because I'm asking, then we get our teenagers and we start commanding and forcing our teenagers, go to bed, and they say, no, yes, you will go to bed. And I've heard parents say that. They are now commanding and forcing, and I'm thinking, why? I don't think that's the right way to speak to them, but why weren't they doing that to the three-year-old instead of waiting to the 16-year-old? So here at this stage, we're putting on a lot of parenting control. What's happening is that instead of getting the joy of obedience, you're actually getting rebellion, and that's what you're going to see. And it's because we have little or no training going on. Our children are disobedient, and so we're actually ignoring it. We think it's cute until a point, and then the parent decides, oh, that's not cute anymore. Then they start applying some of that control, but they start applying it negatively by yelling. They see more defiance, so of course they're going to put on more control. Now we're going to start threatening all the things that are not Christ-like we are doing because we did not do it right at the very beginning. Our children are rude. They won't help. They're arguing. They're disrespectful to authority. They won't talk to you. They ignore you. They walk away. And of course, all parents want obedience. So what do we do? We put on lots more control. So we're controlling more and more and more. And we get more rebellion. They're hanging out with the wrong crowd. They're drinking, smoking, they're drugs. And you talk about exhausted you or exhausted parent. Now, my husband and I took in rebellious teens, and these were actually Adventist kids. They were pregnant. They were on drugs. They were in demonic worship. One of them, the one I'm going to be talking about when I come back on, is one that we had for three summers in a row. She was in demonic worship. And I remember one day her mother called and said, I just found my daughter's satanic Bible, and I've thrown it in the fire, and it's jumped out three times, unburned. And so she called and said, what do we do? And so we were having prayer meeting at the time in our home. And I said, we will pray, stay on the phone, and when we're done, say, amen, we want you to toss it into the fire. So we had prayer, said, amen, she tossed it into the fire, and that thing just consumed immediately. And, just, and then she came and stayed with us, and we took her through prayer, study, obedience, prayer, study, 
obedience. And that's what we need to do. So we've got to set up this training right. And this is the right pyramid. This is how it should look. There's lots and lots of parenting control that goes on in those child training ages. And you are tired. You are exhausted. But I'm telling you, being exhausted with a toddler is nothing like being exhausted with a teen. I'm letting you know that right now. And if you don't believe that, come talk to me. It's just do it now. But you can do it at any phase. Because like I said, we took in rebellious teenagers. That girl today is a mom that loves the Lord, has children that she's raised to Jesus. It does work. So you just have to do these principles. So is I felt like discipline, discipline, discipline. I saw few rewards of what I was doing. Training was constant. There's many times I felt like a failure. I went to bed crying and thought, Lord, is it ever going to get better? One is I had to deal with my own heart. Lord, how can me, so unrighteous, raise righteous children? I don't know how to do this. You've got to help me to be a righteous parent. I would scream and yell at my child. I was so impatient. And I said, Lord, my sin is no different than the sins of my children. So you've got to change me that I can change them. And I'm so glad we serve a God who's powerful, and he knows how to change us. And honestly, I walked by faith. I did not know if this was going to work, but I trusted God's word. And my text was Galatians 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And so I just did what God told me to do. Teach him how to study, pray, and obey. Study, pray, and obey. Study, pray, and obey. And that's all I did. My child training was simple but powerful. Study, pray, obey. Study, pray, obey. I kept it very simple. And as I did this, I started seeing something that was like, they're taking control. They're starting to obey. Changes were happening. I saw more respect, good choices, more obedience. There was hope at the end of this tunnel. I was so excited what I was seeing. More control they took, the more control they took, the less control I had to do. I call it internal control. As a parent, you put on externals. The minute you see that internals, you can back away. And when you don't see them anymore, you put back externals. When you see it, back away because they're internally doing what's right. And by the time we got to my teens, for my children, there was very little that I had to do. And it was such a blessing, and it may take, and the ladies will be sharing what they've done, which are the same things I did when I saw things weren't right. And I'm telling you, it was all worth it. And they were now experiencing what I call that joy of obedience. Parents, this really does work. Like I said, I'm at the end of my child training, so I can see all the results of my hard work. However, when I was in it, all I could do is walk by faith. And that's why I asked Megan and Amy to join me, because they're in the battle still. I'm at this end. I still do it because I still work with families. I still work in homes. I still work with ADD kids. I mean, I have children in my home all the time. So I still work with character. I still work with hearts. Whenever God gives somebody to me, even when I was a teacher, if your children were in my classroom, they were my hearts. And so I worked with their hearts. And I go to every child training seminar, even though I'm past all this, because it's my passion and it's my love. And I believe God gives us our passion and our love. But today I'm going to have Megan share how to apply this principle because she's working in the training phase. Her children are nine and six, so she's working in that phase. Megan is actually, I mean, um, Megan, did I say that? Megan's working in that stage. Amy's actually working with the older, so she's doing a lot more of that education. And then at the end, I will come back and share some of the other principles of what we can do with our children. I have, oh good, I'm on. Thank you very much, um, Cinda. 
Honestly, I told you this before, I feel so blessed that I'm able to live so close to her because this idea of how we, how we do things, it kind of gets all, when I'm in the field working with my child and I'm pulling my hair out and thinking, what am I doing wrong? Then usually God plants into my path and then it kind of redirects me and I think, oh, I can change that. I can do better, right? Before I continue, um, since I'm working with the youngest children, after hearing what Cinda said, what do you think I'm going to be focusing on? Training or educating? Yeah, training. I am just all about training. And because of that, I think it's really important for me to again say to you, have you listened to the Scott Ritzema stuff? Because before I can even begin to tell you about training a child, in my home, we had before I even heard the Scott Ritzema stuff, we had this thing called fuzzy brain. <laughs> if my children spent even a half of an hour in front of the TV for any purpose, they would have what was called the fuzzy brain. And it was just his inner ability to like be obedient and he was cranky and he was whiny and then we heard all this brain research and I realized oh fuzzy brain is real <laughs> it's really real so um, when you're trying to train your child and get that obedience and it's not successful really check your surroundings did they have time in front of a TV did they have a lot of time video gaming are they on your phone screening is there any screen at all that they have been with because it can truly affect their ability to obey you Okay, so then now that I've said that and that set aside, I just want to keep on going. And re, um, when we're talking about training a child, I think at churches especially, I kind of see different families. And even before I had children, I was looking around and seeing, how does that parent do it? And how does this parent do it? And is it effective? Are they successful, right? And sometimes I would see a parent say to their child, sit down because everybody can't see. And this is all the problems. And, da -da 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 -da. and don't you understand? And then there's this whole conversation and they lost their child a minute ago, like 20 minutes ago, right? And so it wasn't effective. Or I would see this parent, Johnny, sit down. Johnny, sit down. Sit down, Johnny. Johnny, sit down. And they're like now getting angry and their child is, and he's flying all over the place, right? So both of these are very extremes and we need to be really focused and intentional. So I have these three things up here, intentional, implement, and consistent. So we have to have a plan about what we're going to do, and then we have to implement it the same way every time, and we have to be consistent in all circumstances. So if you are at church and this is the way you discipline, then it should also look the same at home. And when you're at the grocery store, it should be the same, especially for our littlest, littlest ones, okay? So we're even talking six months old. Okay, to two years old, all the way to my nine-year-old. All right, so I am kind of mathematical. I really think in numbers. So to me, this is sort of an equation in my brain. One plus two always equals three, right? Every time. Two plus four always equals six, every time. So if I tell my child, if you drop that on the floor, then you will have a timeout, and then that equals, when they drop it on the floor, a timeout, period, no matter what. So if you do this, A, then this will happen, and then I follow through and I do it. So that consequence is me following through. Does that make sense? Okay, so every time, even in the grocery store. And so I wanted to tell you, so that's A plus B, yeah. So 
For instance, we would try, I see, I see this a lot, and I had to deal with this with my youngest one especially. He, anytime I would tell him to come or do something, he would say, oh, mommy, and I'd get this whining and crying from him to the point where it was like nails on a chalkboard, and I was like, ah, you know? <laughs> and I find that for me, that's the intentional piece. I could list out probably pages long of character defects that I want to work on with my children, okay? <laughs> but then the thing that I choose to work on is the thing that's making me pull my hair out. The thing that I think, oh, I'm going to just, why did they give me you? You know, <laughs> the thing I'm just really crazy about, that's the thing I realize, oh, God wants me to work on that thing, okay? So when I call him and he says, no, mommy, blah! So then at worship time, this is how I handle it, okay? Because I can give them the consequence right away, and that's what I used to do. But if we're being intentional about it, then I'm also going to practice it, okay? And we'll talk about that kind of later in the week. But that's what I did with when, so at Sabbath school, did you ever hear the song, When a Mommy Says Come Here? We, that's what we did. So I said, Evan, we're going to practice today. And little Evan in his diaper butt with his little pajama shirt on, he would go and hide. And I'd say, okay, when a mommy says, come here, who comes running? Who comes running? And then we'd say, Evan comes running. Evan comes running. And he would come running. And we would clap and clap and clap, right? But then we also practiced the other way. So that's, that's another day. But just so you know, there's a whole, like you can actually practice obedience. But the point that I want you to get today is every time you follow through. So when he doesn't come, I don't go chasing him or yelling at him. Instead, I come quietly and with authority right up to him. I kneel down to his level and I say, Evan, mommy said, come. Let's go talk to Jesus about that. And so I would take him, especially if we're in public, because I'm not going to yell and scream at him or embarrass him in front of people. So I would, I would take him back to our private place, and maybe that just looks like around the corner where nobody's at, and I would give him his time out, pray with him, and continue on. So two issues that I see a lot, or one specific one that was making me pull my hair out, is cutting nails. Does anybody cut little children's nails? What happens? <laughs> and they're pulling and you're afraid you're going to like break their nail or they're going to get hurt or now they're crying because they are hurt, right? <laughs> and so he was less than one. I think this was Jonas mostly um, because the little one learns from the big one. So you'll kind of notice that a little bit. But so I, I decided this is a battle I'm going to fight. So I sat down with him on my lap, just like this, and I was ready to cut his nails, and I said, please choose, choose to obey. That's that choice. He would get one nail in, and blah! And so I immediately said, oh, I'm sorry you chose to disobey. Now, he's less than one. Is he understanding all the language that I'm saying? No. But he is going to understand the consequence. And the consequence is you have a timeout. So I picked him up and I put him inside of his crib. I took all the things out of his crib that are fun. I left the light on so he knew it wasn't bedtime. And I walked out the door. He hated being separate from me. And I counted to like 60 because he was under one. I was usually one minute per timeout. And I immediately came back in and I said, Oh, let's pray to Jesus so that you can, and I would say something like, Dear Father, please come into Jonas's heart and help him to obey mommy. And we would try again. Now, this battle 
Yes. At, at first, um, at first, yeah, for his little, but again, I'm not letting him scream for hours and hours or be upset. It's for, yeah, he's, because see, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's lots of different, so the question was for the recording, what if your child is screaming out of control for that one minute? And the answer for my, in my case is, if the child learns that they can scream to avoid the discipline that they don't like, then we are training them that that's how they handle that situation. So if they are screaming, that's sad for them that they're having that rough time, but I'm always coming right back in to pray. And I, okay, are you ready to come out? Take a deep breath. We have to have a happy heart and let's pray. And when they have a happy heart and they're ready to pray, then we come back out. Now, if they're like, no, and they're still mad, then you're like, oh, I'm sorry you chose that. And you go right back out and you count for a minute. Now, let me just tell you, the first time I did this battle, it lasted an hour or more, okay? So cutting nails, five minutes, right? But this lasted for like an hour, okay? Or like I said, or more. But the next time in two weeks when I did it, maybe once we had to do that. And then so much so that he was just ready. Okay, mommy. And he was ready to have his nails cut. Because when you train, well, here's the reality. You're training no matter what, okay? So if you don't do something, you're training them that it's okay, that they can argue with you, that they can fuss and get what they want. If you, tr if you, oh, if you do it every time, this is how I'm gonna handle it, then you're training for the good. Does that make sense? Now, again, I'm not educating a lot. When I was working on fussing, um, I gave him a memory verse, and the memory verse that I gave him was Colossians 3, verse 20. And it says, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And I have the best memory of my little diapered bottom baby saying, obey your parents in all things, you know, in his little list, you know. So it was, he's so, it was really cute, but it was good for him, too. So the temptation of the parent is to keep on warning. Did they really understand me? Did they really understand that they're not supposed to be fussing right now? Do they really get that? Let me just say it one more time. Let me just try it this way. No, no, no. Say it, follow through. Because even if they didn't understand, they're going to understand now. Okay? And then say it again, follow through. Always follow through, even at the grocery store. And I keep saying at the grocery store, and I know I only have just a short time left, but let me tell you about the grocery store, okay? My children were rushing and playing, even when they were little, and we had a fall apart moment, and I gave them the choice. I think it, I don't remember which one it was. You don't really need to know. Son, you're choosing to disobey. This is not okay in the grocery store. So you need to have a timeout. And probably before that, I said, please choose. What? You know, okay, you have chosen. So I would find a corner somewhere in the grocery store, and I would stick him in the corner, and I would stand kind of in front of him. Because, again, I don't want my attention to be on him. I want to, you know, nobody needs to know about that. But I would have people walk by me. And it's the opposite of what you think, right? You're a little bit afraid that you're going to say, what are they, what's that parent doing, you know? Instead, it was this. I had parent, um, adults walk by me and say, good job, mama, good job. 
Just like that, like more than one. And more than once this happened. And then I would kneel down and pray. The thing is, when you're a light of the world, you're not just training your children. Others are seeing you. And they're not seeing you get upset because you already have this intentional plan. A plus B equals C. Oh, you threw that on the floor. So this is what we do about that. Bloop. It's not, it's not, oh, I can't believe you're doing it again and getting angry. It's simply okay, you did this. Well, this is the consequence. I'm sorry you chose that. It's just that simple. I'm sorry you chose to do that. And then you give them the consequence. It's just like that. Now, so being that loud at church, does everybody kind of get worried about their children being loud at church and a distraction to others? So this was an intentional thing that we talked about with my husband having a plan so with my husband, we made goals at church because that's a very public place, right? And the training has to happen no matter where you go. In our head, we thought we did not want our child to be a distraction to those around us. So rather than choosing to sit in the front of the church, we did choose to sit in the back of the church in the beginning, okay? So and the other thing we wanted was for them to be quiet at church, not just to not be a distraction, but so that when they were ready for the educating, their ears were already open. They weren't distracted by other things. So they were ready to listen. So we sat in the back of the church, and our plan was that every time they were loud or crying, and this happened from when they were very little, we would carry them out. But here's the thing. Inside the church has to be funner and better than outside of the church. So when I haul him out of the church, I never put him on the ground to play. Mm -mm. I held him tight and I would say, I'm sorry you chose that. Now a baby, if you hold them lovingly tight, that's different than outward tight and they're like, ah, I wanna get out, right? So that's how we did that timeout when they were very little. But then when they got older, I'd just find a corner again, and we would say, it is time to listen to Jesus. Let's pray that Jesus can come in your heart and help you obey. Even if they're not listening, it's time for you to be quiet. Now, by the way, training your child to sit and be quiet is its own skill. It's, an, it's a skill they are not born with, and it's a skill that you have to train your child to do. So don't feel bad about that. It's just the next thing that you're going to do A plus B equals C. It's the next thing you're going to make a plan about and go ahead and implement it and every time do it. Now, occasionally that little timeout wouldn't work and they would be like, blah, you know. So then we would enter that sort of rebellion that Cinda was talking about and we would have to find a place a little bit separate from everybody and he would have to have a little spank. And again, it wasn't an angry spank. I wasn't slapping my child, but it was just a, I'm sorry you chose this. Uh, we have already tried timeout. It's not working. We want you to be obedient. And so we would implement the spank. We would pray with him. But again, we re-entered the sanctuary and we tried again. Everything is always, you're always wanting them to get to the point where they have success, right? Where they can say, I did it. I can do it. So when I'm talking to my child, I'll even, again, I always get right on my knees so I can look right in their eyes and I say to them, Son, did you, did you do this? Yeah. Was it wrong? Yeah, it was. But did Jesus forgive you? Yeah. Can you do better now? Yeah, you can do it. Let's do it. We can do it together. And then we go again and try again. So it's always hopeful at the end. We give them that thought. You can do it. You really can do it. So um, now I wanted to go one more slide. Remember this thing here? 
We're not always in training a child. Sometimes on the graph, here's where I am with my very littlest, but sometimes I'm over here where I'm training and educating. Evan is six years old. That's where he's at right now. He's not always listening. Sometimes he is, but not always. And he'll say things like at church, he'll say to me, Mommy, I want to do this. And Mommy, I have some questions. And, blah, 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 and there's just this buzz, right? When I realize the buzz is my child, <laughs> I'll lean over to him and I'll say, Evan, you're stealing my blessing. And the first time I said that to him, he looked at me like, what? I go, yeah, Jesus has a message for me and I can't hear it over you. Is that what you want? And he'll look at me with big eyes and he goes, no, I don't. So right then, was that training or educating? That was educating, okay? That was totally educating, but I had already done the training with him. He understands not to be too loud. He wasn't instinctively being naughty. He just had a question and wasn't realizing that my focus shouldn't be on him. My focus should be on the message up front, okay? So when you, it doesn't mean like even when they're two or three, they could have an educating moment, but like Cinda stressed before, obedience is first. Once they have been obedient, then you can start educating and, and talking about the whys, okay? Even now at nine, Jonas will still have a moment where he'll say, I'll say, Jonas, go do this. And he'll say, but mom, why? And I'll say to him, oh, son, if you really want to know, you need to obey first. He'll go and obey, and then we'll have that conversation. Sometimes he chooses not to obey, and then we have to discipline because I'm back to that training again. All right, so Amy's on. She's got the older ones. Oh, I forgot the, you go ahead. <laughs> oh, okay, I'm sorry. The only thing I wanted to share with you is that this book is phenomenal, and she's gonna be um, talking about this a little later. I told you I used Colossians 3, verse 20, but as you're starting to enter from training to educating, having Bible verses to attack different problems is really helpful, but quite honestly, like I said before, I'm a baby. I was only a cultural Adventist. I did not know all the scripture verses that would be helpful for me, and sometimes in the middle of a battle, I just plain don't know what to do. So this is the inside of one of those books. This is about arguing and contention. I just wanted you to see what the inside of the book looked like. Um, it gives you verses to deal with it. This is general information or commandments about the sin that you can say. Or this, these are verses about what happens or should happen to a contentious person. What should the contentious person do? And so on. It even, I didn't get you copies of all of it, but it even gives you stories from the Bible. So if you wanted to work on a certain thing with your child, there's stories you can use for worship time in the morning or family worship at the evening. So this is good for like all the ages. I bought mine used and I just recently looked on eBay and Amazon and I think you can get it for somewhere between 10 and $20. It's really not super um, a lot. It's, and it works the same way as one of those Bible promise books. You can find whatever almost you're looking for. It's kind of alphabetical. The back of this book, it's, it's a great handbook just to help you use your Bible, basically. Um, this is what the back of it says. Use it as a quick reference during everyday discipline situations as a manual for your family worship, as a guide for your personal Bible study. Find out what God says about sins, what he promises will happen to the sinner, and how he blesses those who obey. So it's an excellent uh, resource in training our children God's way. 
So now, as we move into the older kids, we are transitioning more to the educating. And that's why it's so, so important to take the time and to invest the effort into training our children in what is right and how we do things and to obey like mommy and daddy ask. Because if we have instilled that into our children, the educating part will be a lot simpler. And as I've moved into this educating phase, I do have a 10-year-old, so there still is some uh, training. Um, but as I've moved into this educating phase, I have found some elements that help my children um, to hear God's voice a little bit better, um, to listen more attentively, and to really hear me as I, as I educate. And so I want to share with you four elements that help encourage my children's heart to Jesus and encourage them in their surrender to Jesus. This first one is very important, even as you're training, and that is our tones. The way we speak is very, very important for the heart of your child. Um, a lot of times, I, I actually tell my children this too, speak in such a way that others want to listen to you. Because if you're saying something, no matter how true it is, if you're not saying it in a way that others want to listen to you, that it will reach their heart, um, then it doesn't do any good. So how we say things is sometimes even more important than exactly what we're saying. Because you can say, I love you, but you can say, oh, I love you. Or you can say, love you. But how different is that than saying, oh, I really, really love you? Looking at them with a pleasant look on your face. Um, the Bible in Proverbs 15 once says, a soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. And that's not just for adults, that's for children as well. And so whether it's discipline, whether we're very frustrated with something that they've done, we have to be able to control our tones and our looks and the way that we speak to our children. Also in Adventist home, page uh, 436, it says, allow nothing like strife or dissension to come into the home. Speak gently. Never raise your voice to harshness. Keep yourselves calm. Put away fault-finding and untruthfulness. Tell the children that you want to help them to prepare for a holy heaven, where all is peace, where not one jarring note is heard. Be patient with them in their trials, which may look small to you, but which are large to them. She says, that it says, never are we to speak with harshness. And we're human. That's kind of hard sometimes, right? When we get into those situations where they've done something or they keep doing things that are uh, frustrating and making us upset, but we have to be able to control ourselves. They have to be able to see that we can control ourselves so that they know that they can learn to control themselves and so that they will listen to what we have to say. Now, I read, I didn't put this up on the screen because it's very short. You can remember this, and it's even better if you write it down. It's three words, and I read this in The Desire of Ages once, and it has stuck with me forever um, because it's so important. It says, love awakens love. And this is true with any emotion or feeling. Frustration awakens frustration. 
<clears throat> so the Bible says, whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. What do you want to reap in your children? You want to awaken, or <clears throat> awaken love. You want to reap love and understanding. You want to res- uh, reap respect. And so no matter what it is we give to our children, that is what is going to awaken in them. Have you ever, well, I know I have. I'm not perfect. Um, I've gotten frustrated at my children. And I have seen the difference in their responses from when I deal calmly and lovingly with them from when I get frustrated and upset with them. I have one child who is slow, slow, and I don't like slow. (laughs) I like to produce. I like to be productive. I like to check things off my list and get things done. But I've noticed a difference in dealing with that child. When I get frustrated, I'm like, why haven't you gotten this done? If I deal calmly and if we talk through the situation, if I help her to see that she needs to focus on this, to be more productive, to get whatever it is done, it helps her to be a lot more productive than it does when I get upset and frustrated that she hasn't accomplished whatever it is that she's supposed to accomplish. And so our tone, it's always, uh, the results are always better when we're calm and loving. They actually hear me, and the neat thing is is they're also actually able to hear God's voice better when my tone and my face are pleasant. Because, listen to this, my tone can stop them from hearing the voice of God to their soul. And I never, ever want to be a stumbling block to my children and to their salvation. And so it's very, very important the way that we treat them as the way that God would treat them. We want to draw them to Jesus. Now, the second um, element that I have seen in this education process is sometimes they just need some facts. (laughs) They need us to share facts with them. Um, If they don't want to exercise, we need to share the importance and the benefits of exercise. If they don't want to help change the oil in the car, then they need to understand why it's important that we change the oil regularly in our car. Um, If they don't want to take a shower, I've had that. Then we need to share with them the benefits of hygiene, the benefits for them and the benefits for others. Um, Actually, one of my children, we had gone skiing all day, and he had taken a shower in the morning. So after we got done skiing all day, he didn't think that it was important that he took a shower because he already took one that day. Why did he need to take two? Uh, But even when you're skiing and it's cold, you have all that stuff on and you begin to sweat. So he was pretty sure he didn't need a shower, but all it took was my husband talking, and it wasn't like a sit-down, let's go have this conversation. It was in casual conversation that my husband explained to him, you know, sweat and what it does on your body and the importance of washing it off and some personal hygiene tips. And just with that simple five-minute conversation, he was able on his own to decide that, yes, he probably should go take a shower. And so sometimes it's just a matter of facts, and that helps educate them on the things that they are going through, the things that they're having to decide. Another thing that I have found that helps in our home is to ask questions. Um, Questions (coughs) is to help them process what they did if something went wrong, if they're dealing with a problem or a um, confrontation or a controversy in the home, to help them see what happened and what they could do next time based on biblical principles. This comes in the place of preaching at them. Kids don't like to be preached at. (laughs) And um, it comes in the place of telling them 
what they should have done comes in the place of telling them what they did wrong and what they should have done next time because the whole process of educating is helping them to see the problem and be able to work themselves through to the solution. I'm not always going to be around to tell them what they should do or what they did wrong or why the Bible says that what we did was wrong. So I want them to be able to move from point A to point B on their own so that they are internally controlling themselves and making those decisions for Christ on their own. So, um, this is also another reason why it's so important to train them right in the first place, because if they have been trained to know right from wrong, know what the Bible says about different things, then they will be able to, with your help and your guidance, move to the right, um, right scenario, right answer. So, if they're if two siblings are arguing or if they've had some sort of a sour or bad interaction, what might I ask? Well, I might ask them one at a time, what just happened? So that they can process exactly what took place. Now, the most important thing here is to not let them tell you what the other person did wrong because that is a natural thing for us to want to do, to shift the blame. But it's important for them to process what they did, how they responded, how they talked to their sibling, so that they are taking responsibilities for their action. Because I tell my children this all the time too, you are not in control of what other people do, you're only in control of how you react, how you respond, and what you do. So they need to process what happened um, in light of what they did. So they might um, tell the situation and they might say, I got really frustrated and I yelled at my sibling. So then I might ask, well, what does the Bible actually say about that? And they could use a number of verses. If we have these character cards that I mentioned yesterday, um, they might have memorized one from there. Or this instruction in righteousness book has lots to say on different topics. So they might tell me, you know, a soft answer turns away wrath. So then I might ask them, according to the Bible, according to this verse, what do you need to do? And they could tell me, and why? And they could tell me that. And so once we have gone through the whole situation, what happened, what my responsibility was in that situation, and what I could do based on what the Bible says that I should do, then we can go back and we can replay that situation the correct way. Or sometimes uh, there's attitude going on. Sometimes you just wake up on the wrong side of the bed. And all of this goes for us as adults, too. We have to be able to work ourselves through this. But if there's attitude, you know, I might ask them, how was your heart this morning? And they can stop and reflect on that. And so maybe I would ask them if it's not in the right way, I might ask them, well, what would put your heart at peace? And maybe they need to go back and they need to spend a little time praying. Maybe they need to go and find a verse to help with their attitude that morning. And so sometimes I will tell them to go find a verse. How can, um, how can Jesus change your heart so that we don't feel that way? Um, we had an experience once. This is a silly little experience, but somebody wanted to borrow a pencil, and the other child did not want to share their pencil with them, and it seems silly, but that person was protective sometimes, Things don't get treated properly or the way that they would want them to, and so they didn't want to share their pencils. And I remember, it was a silly little thing, but I remember going through that whole process, and I asked, can you think of biblical principles 
to fit this situation. And you know there's a lot. Jesus wants us to share. He wants us to do unto others as we would want them to do unto us. So we have to remember also, you know, whatsoever man soweth. So if I want my siblings to share with me, then I have to be willing to share with them. And then the, new, the first time I ever asked this question was with this scenario, and I asked, what advice would you give to somebody in your shoes? And my children, I've trained them, they know. And so if their heart is right, they know exactly what advice they would give to somebody in that situation. And so it was interesting because sometimes you're not at the place where your heart is surrendered or they aren't, even I'm not. And so it takes a little bit more heart surrender. But uh, it was interesting to hear. The advice was exactly what it should be. And so when you know that you would give that advice to someone else, you know that that's exactly the advice that you should follow as well. And so these questions, oh, oh one other thing too, you can use God's word to form questions. Um, if they lack diligence in a chore, you can ask them, did you do that with all your might? And remind, remind them of the Bible verse that talks about that. Or if they weren't kind, you can just ask them, what are you sowing? Is that what you want to reap? And so using God's word, word to form questions is very good as well. Uh, these questions are good because I want to help that bring them to a point where they can process, process the situation and come out on the other side, um, knowing exactly what Jesus wants them to do and also being willing to do it. And so the questions help them um, a lot with that. But you know, sometimes, just like in our own lives, even through those questions, even with the right tones, even after sharing facts, sometimes our children's heart aren't right yet. Sometimes, you know, self and all of us wells up, and it's something that we have to fight daily. That's why we have to die daily. And so if those things don't work, then we have to go to God's Word. And God's Word is the best thing of all because it has the, trans, uh, the power to transform and to change our hearts like we cannot do. We can't change our children's hearts. We can't even change our own hearts. And so going to God's Word is something that for the most part, I have to say, I, it, it's such a blessing because um, under, under the power of the Holy Spirit and God's words, it is beautiful to see your children's hearts soften and to surrender. Um, did I put this quote in there? I did. In Adventist Home, page 306, it says, God himself established the family relations. His word is the only safe guide in the management of our children. So if you have a question, if you have a problem, if you need wisdom, it's God's word that we need to go to. So I want to share with you, you got a handout, I believe, today, and it has two Bible studies on it. They should be on cardstock. One is the five Ps, and one is a cause-effect study. And when we're dealing with a situation, whether it's respect or disobedience or attitude, it could be anything, um, we have pulled out these studies, and my children are actually able to go through these studies on their own, and then we come back and we discuss them. But as my kids are going through these studies, I'm praying. I'm praying for my children's hearts, 
because it's the Holy Spirit who can touch them. But it's neat because most of the time, God's word and his Holy Spirit is able to soften their hearts. So at the end of these studies, they see what they did wrong, and they're willing to make it right. So I was going to go through, ooh, I don't have much time. Really quickly, I'll show you what one of the five Ps looks like. Um, One of my kids has an issue with diligence also, maybe giving up too early if something's hard or not doing something properly. So he studied Proverbs 10, verse 4. It says, he who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. And so if you go through the five Ps study, they find a verse for whatever the problem was. So here it was diligence. So he found a verse on diligence. He read that verse, and the first P is the principle. So you write down the principle of that Bible verse. So he wrote diligence, hard work. Also, he put building character. So in number two, you paraphrase that. You restate that verse in your own words so that you understand it in your own mind. And so he put, if you're lazy, you'll be poor. If you work hard, you'll have plenty. And riches does not always equal money. The third P was personal struggles. What what do you struggle with? They're going to think, okay, diligence is a problem. What specifically do I struggle with in this area? So he put getting distracted, um, quitting if it gets hard, being sloppy or just wanting the easy way. And then the fourth one is kind of twofold, but it's profit or loss. You're going to list the blessings that you would experience if you followed this principle in the Bible, and you're going to list all the possible consequences if you disobey it. And so the blessings, he put riches, strong character, happiness, you'll go further in life, you'll make good decisions, and you'll be a good witness. And the consequences he saw, you would be poor, you would have a weak character, You would be swayed by others, you'd make bad decisions, you'd get less out of life, and you won't um, strengthen your weaknesses or your talents. And so it's neat to see the things they come up with as they're studying this, to see what is the consequence, or what's the benefit of obeying this Bible principle, what is the consequence? You're kind of showing them two paths. If I obey this, this is what I will attain. If I don't obey this, this is what I'm going to have to deal with. Which one do I want to choose? And then you come up with a plan of action. You just decide what you're going to do to carry out this principle. First, I guess you have to decide. Do you want the blessings or do you want the consequences? But I've never had my child pick that they want to have the consequences because God's work is, the word is working on their heart. And who would choose the consequences? Why would I want to be poor? Why would I want to have a weak character? Um, they always choose the blessings. And so number five, the plan of action. It's, um, he said, I will not give up when it is hard. I will not get distracted. I will focus when something is hard. I will focus on my task when something is hard. And so it's neat to see them go through this process um, of going into God's word. And the neat thing about this is they're not, they don't have to argue with me. I don't have to reason with them. It's God's words that's showing them this is exactly what will happen if you choose this. This is exactly what will happen if you choose this. And so it's God who's giving them the choices and not me. So there's really nothing to argue with here. And usually after spending time in God's word, they're able to genuinely see that issue clearly and repent and choose the right path. 
So I just want to challenge you to put the time and the effort that it takes into training them, to laying the foundation, to hide God's word in their heart, to train them on what is right and what is wrong and making good decisions. Um, We want God to help us to train them to surrender. We want to be the example. We want um, God's word to be so important in their lives that they're willing to follow that and choose that no matter what. We only have one what was working, so. You know, that's why I say, if you do the training right, and I know it's tiring, but when you get to this education part, it is so much fun because your children are learning how to follow the Lord. They just love them, and they come up with some amazing things. And the Lord always shares us what to do. Now, Amy didn't cover the very last one, cause to effect. I actually put this one together when I was a school teacher, I had some class, kids in my classroom. And like I said, when they came to my classroom, they're my kids. And so I'm going to work with their hearts because I have them more than you have them. So I'm going to make sure that they love the Lord when they leave my classroom as well. So I'm going to work with their hearts. And I had a child that I was having a lot of problems with him um, being honest in his test taking. And so I had him do what I call the cause and effect study. I had him write out verses first. The topic was lying in this case or deceit. And so I had him write out verses on deceit for me. And so he wrote those out. And then I said, I want you, with these verses, I want you to write down the two paths that would happen. If you follow this deceitfulness, what's going to happen? Write those out. And then I want you to write out what's going to happen if you let go of deceitfulness and you become honest, what's going to happen? So I had him write out each of his concepts that he had. And then I had him write in his own um, thoughts, what is it that you want? What would you prefer? to go the way of the world or to go the way of the Lord. I want you to write that out. And so he did. And I said, now I need you to get some promises that you're going to find. And I taught all my kids in my classroom how to use concordances so that they would know how to use them. So he had to find two promises to help him overcome. And then I said, how are you going to implement these? So write a paragraph on how you're going to implement these. There's a lot, they're a lot like the five Ps is what you're really doing. So it's a lot like that. Anyway, about two or three weeks later, I got a phone call from his mother and said, I'd like to talk to you about what you're doing with my son. And I thought, oh, and you get one of those calls like, oh, okay. So anyway, she called and said, I want to talk to you about what's going on with my son. And um, it was really good. She said, I need you to know what you're doing. He loves it. He he said, you just need to do it the way Mrs. O is doing it. And um, so anyway, she said, what are you doing? So I told her. Anyway, today he's training to be a pastor. So the Lord does work with the hearts of our children if we just work. So anyway, so like I said, I took in rebellious teens. God shows you what to do. You know, when you're using the word, sometimes you don't have time right away. And depending on the heart of the child, you don't know what to do. We had this teen for three summers, and she was rebellious, but she was learning to obey. She was obeying, obeying, obeying. Anyway, her friends called during the one of the summers she was staying with me, and they said, you know, we need to get together. We haven't seen you for a while. We would like to get together. Well, I knew when they got together, that means they were going to go party and do their drugs again. And, um, and I knew if I said, no, you can't go, she would go, you know, because she had learned to obey me, and she was happy to obey me. There wasn't an issue there. But that's not what I wanted. She was 16 years old. She really needed to make some decisions for the Lord. So I went and got on my knees. I told her, let me go pray about it. I went on my knees, and I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. I'd like her to come into this 
decision. I would like to enlist her will, and at this moment, I don't know how. Would you give me wisdom here? And so he did. He, uh, she was a very sensitive child. I mean, just hated to see people hurt. By the time she stayed with us, the whole time we were taking in all these dogs and cats and strays and everybody because she's just so tender-hearted. So the Lord told me to take her through Calvary's cross and make it as graphic as I could. So I went and I told her about Calvary and what Jesus went through and how he was punched in the face and he couldn't even be recognized. And at that time, the Romans are very cruel. They had these things called scorpion balls that had hooks. And they would throw that ball and it had a chain on it and whip around that body. And then when it came off, it just tore flesh off his skin as it came off. And he was bleeding and he was bruised. And then they put him on this cross. And I said, you see that lacquered cross? That's not what it looked like. It was a splintered tree. And they just threw that raw meat that he had on his back. And they just put him on that cross and just held him there. And how painful that must have been. And then when they set the cross up, it wasn't gentle. And when they put the nails in, I doubt they went here because they would have ripped out. I think they probably went here because that way they wouldn't rip out. And I said, they nailed him to that cross. And I had a spike. And I showed her the spike. And it was a railroad spike. I said, it was big. And it went through those hands, his wrist. And then then when they put him on that cross, they didn't gently pick it up. They thrusted that thing down and his arms went down. And anyway, when I was done, she was crying. We were both crying. And I said, all I ask that you do is tell the Lord three times, you did it for me and I don't care. And then you can go. Because that's what you're telling him. The minute you walk out of my house, you're saying, you did it for me, but I don't care. So just tell him, but you got to tell him three times. She looked at me and she said, I can't do that. I can't do that. He did that for me. And I said, that's what it requires. I'm not saying you can't go, but I want you to tell him you did it for me. Three times you tell him you did it for me, and you go. She said, never mind. I'm never going to ask to do anything that's not right while I'm with you. I said, I don't want you just to do it with you with me. The fact is he died for you. So you're doing it whether you're in my home or you're outside of my home. Anyway, and I said, if you need to tell your friends that I won't let you go to save face, go ahead. I'm fine with that. She said, no, they need to hear this too. They need to know that Jesus died for them, and them going out and doing drugs is not God's way. So anyway, she called her friends, let them know, went through Calvary's cross with them, the story. And I don't know what they ended up doing, but I know what she ended up doing. And like I said, today she serves the Lord. And so the Lord does give you things to say. And I'm going to read something really quick to you and then dismiss you. If you have questions, please put them in the back. We will try to address them, but our time has been cut down. I wanted my children to understand what Christ went through in a different way. And so I wrote this story for them. And then I put it out on tapes. These are old, old tapes. They've been out for years and years and years. Every now and then somebody lets me know they got a handle on one. Matter of fact, somebody's got one from up here one time. But anyway, um, and mom was listening to this, and her little boy was listening to this story. But I'm going to tell you the story first, and then what happened. It's called The Lamb. I remember the day our you had her first baby. He was such a beautiful fellow with, with that soft, white, curly hair and dark brown eyes. At that first sight, I knew that he would be the most special lamb I would ever have. As the days grew into weeks and months, I began to appreciate my little lamb all the more. He was a lot different than the other lambs in that he always shared his food, came when he was called, and never got in fights with the other lambs. I knew that he would grow up to be the wisest ram in the herd. As I crawled into bed, thoughts of my lamb flooded my mind. Suddenly, I seemed to hear an announcement. The priest would go to each herd and choose the perfect lamb to take to the temple. Imagine my surprise when the priest chose my lamb. I was so proud of him. 
As I said my goodbyes and promised to come see him in a few days, I wondered if he knew what a special place he would have in the temple and in my heart. I missed his cheerful greeting when I went to feed the other lambs, but I was thankful he had chosen, he was chosen for the temple work. Soon the time came for me to wake my, to make my way to the temple. Oh, to see my lamb again. As I entered the temple, I was horrified at what I saw. My lamb, no, it just couldn't be. There in front of me stood my lamb, mangled and bleated, tied to a pillar. Shocked beyond description, I saw many come and confess their sins over the head of my lamb. I searched out the priest and asked, what does all this mean? He told me that my lamb had become the sacrifice for many. He had been beaten, bruised, spit upon, lacerated, chastised, tied to a pillar, and left to die. Again I looked at my poor lamb. He looked back at me with longing and pitiful eyes, yet not a sound escaped from his lips. My mind recalled what I had studied a few weeks prior in Isaiah 53, 3-7, that as a, uh, all we like sheep have gone astray. Oh, it says, but we, he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every eye, every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He has brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. When my mind, while my mind was racing, I saw two people walk up to my lamb. They had bandages. Oh, how I hoped they would heal his wounds. As I watched them approach, my anticipation grew. To my greatest um, anguish, they didn't help him. Instead, they kicked him violently. How could they hurt the poor innocent lamb more? I slowly walked in front of the people to see who could do such a cruel thing. It was you, and it was me. I realized for the first time that when we choose to sin, we kick the lamb. I woke up in a puddle of sweat. Do I bandage the lamb, or do I kick him? This mother was listening to my tapes on the way home, and her three-year-old was sitting in the back seat listening. She didn't know. She called me three days later and said, I have to tell you what happened. My child did something, and I went to him, and I said, what you have just done hurts Jesus, and we need to talk about it. And he said, Mommy, did I kick the lamb? She had no idea he was listening. And she said, Yes, you kicked the lamb. And he said, Mommy, I love the lamb. I don't want to kick the lamb. I want to love the lamb. Mommy, do whatever you have to do in my heart so I love the lamb. And that's what we want to do in the hearts of our children. We want them to love the lamb and that they would give their hearts to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time to come before you. Help us to train our children with such diligence, Lord, and teach them that we may educate them as to why they need to be obedient, why they need to serve you and love you. We praise you, Lord, for the way you work in our hearts, that you take sinful mothers and fathers, and you know how to change us. You know how to transform us. You know how to walk and work through us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you do this in our hearts. Continue to be with us as we go throughout your day. We'll have lots of opportunities to work with our little ones and our big ones and our husbands and our wives because, Lord, you call us to be righteous in every situation. So help us, Lord Jesus, to always bandage you rather than to kick you. We thank you, Lord. In your name we pray and thank you. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.